and welcome to the Diabolical Film Show, a podcast about old films, new films, and the people who make them. My name is Ash, and with me, I have my, well, devil in disguise, Richie! Very much. Thank you very much for that introduction. Thank you. I like you, Ashley. Always have. Always will. I would like to say that you're always on my mind, but you're not. That would be a bit scary. But anyway. Uh... Shall I get right the way now? How are you feeling, Richie? Are you feeling lonesome tonight? Uh, no? Stick your feet in the air. What? Stick your feet in the air. Stick my feet in the air? Yeah. Just so I can see if you're wearing those blue sweat shoes. Oh, my God. Uh, the audience knew where I was going with that Jesus one, surely. Christ. They had suspicious minds. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dear God. Uh, if you haven't guessed, uh, we're talking Elvis. <laughs> we're talking Elvis today. Um, Elvis, the film from 2022. Indeed. Why are we talking about Elvis, Richie? Well, it's sort of linked in with a bit of true romance, because was he, was he in that film or wasn't he in that film? Officially, no, because mm. they couldn't afford him, or they couldn't afford his estate to pay his estate. But, uh, yeah, he wasn't really in it, so we thought, I know, we'll talk about the film Elvis from 2022, where he's in it quite a lot. Quite a lot, yes. Not a lot. Quite a lot. (laughs) Quite a lot. (laughs) Now, this is film from Baz Luhrmann. I think most people know Baz Luhrmann from things, well, The Great Gatsby more recently. Even that was was a few years ago, though, wasn't it? Well, that was 2013, wasn't it, The Great Gatsby? And then you had Australia and Moulin Rouge, Romeo. He kind of hit with Romeo and Juliet and Strictly Ballroom, where he did the screenplay. Mm, yeah. And Moulin Rouge, Australia. Well, he directed them as well, didn't he? Actually, he didn't just do the screenplay for well, he, Pretty much whatever he writes, he directs. So. He directs, yeah. So, he did, yeah, he, let's start, let's start that again. <laughs> uh, so he did Strictly Ballroom. That was his first film. Uh, which is pretty good, actually. Romeo and Juliet, which I haven't seen. Moulin Rouge and Australia. Uh, so, yeah, he's... Australia. He's done a bit, but he's sporadic, shall we mm, say. He is, he is. It's it's like, yeah, and then you don't hear from him for years. Literal years. Literally years. But when you look at a, a Baz Luhrmann film, you know it's a Baz Luhrmann film. He's one of those mm. film directors, I think, that if you watch a film of his, you can tell who's directed it. And within 10 minutes of watching, not even 10 minutes, five minutes, yeah. two minutes of watching Elvis, you know damn well who's directed it. It's absolutely, it's a barnstorming yeah, start it's, to it's, Elvis's life, isn't it? It's slick. It's slick without being, I don't know. It, Greasy? There's a, yeah. He has a, he has a style. He does have a style, and I'd say slick. It it does move like ha ha ha, but um, yeah. <laughs> Did it leave you all shook up, Richie? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna keep going. Uh, yeah, so this is a film by Baz Luhrmann. Um, that, now this was about three years in the making. This is this has been this has been um, on the back boiler for yeah, a while. Yeah, um, they did a lot of research. Into COVID this. fucking COVID didn't help. Yeah, it was written by also by well the story. It was also by Jeremy Donner as well, and who hadn't done a huge amount prior to this. But then the screenplayers from Sam Bromwell, Craig Pierce, as well as Baz Luhrmann and Jeremy Donner. Mm. So there's there's a bunch of people involved getting it to the screen, but it's not an impersonation. 
of Elvis. No, that was that was what I was afraid of when um, I sat down in the pictures with the missus because you, you just get have this fear. It's going to be karaoke, Elvis. Yeah, you fear your dad in a fat suit yeah. singing his oh, heart out to yeah. "Are You Lonesome Tonight," mm. and it's. And I think they've talked. Well, I know he's talked because Baz Luhrmann has said this specifically. So Baz Luhrmann said he wanted to explore America in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and he used Elvis as a lens because you can really divide Elvis's life up. You got Elvis in the 50s where he where he was found. He's fresh. He's new. He changed rock and roll. He's got loads of influences coming from rhythm and blues and blues music like B.B. King and uh, Sister Rosetta Tharp, who appears in who, yeah. who appear, both appear in the film. See, that's that's like a bit of an aside. There, it was. Um, I don't know if, if it was recently or even at the time where he was accused of appropriation of black music. But I don't think that's. I think it's just a case of he introduced it. Well, nowadays, Isn't yeah, it? it is cultural appropriation and all that yes. sort of word. That's, that's the phrase. That's, what, that's the word they're using now. Yeah. Then, they didn't quite put it that way. They basically said, that, that white boy's playing black music. Well, they use stronger words than yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Frank. But um, white boy playing black music. And uh, I'm not being funny. It's music shared by all. He does not hide the fact that he's massively influenced yes. by the people that were around at the time. Very true. And I think... I think that's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But he brought showmanship mm. to it as well. He didn't just do that. So he had, like, the new kind of Elvis in the 50s where he's discovered and he, he becomes a, a massive hit. 60s, you then got him the, the, the film years. It which was the film years, wasn't it? And this... Yeah, this, which, let's be, let's be frank, they're not good. This film, <laughs> it, it, it glosses over that. It glosses over a lot of things, I think. Yeah. That, it glosses over a lot of the controversial parts of all the the bad parts of Elvis' life. Is that the right word for it? I don't know. Mm. And then you go into the 70s where it's, it's actually the Vegas years, isn't it, where he reinvents himself yeah, and he becomes yet again the global superstar that he was before fading, fading out towards the end. I think, though, end. going back to the 50s, well, we're going to have to go back to the 50s because that's where he starts. Shall I do it? If it wasn't what? <laughs> if it wasn't... Him who'd done it, someone else would have. I think he just got there first. Well, I think we were lucky, weren't we? To be honest, the story goes that Gladys, Elvis's mum, went to buy him a, a bike, right? Mm-hmm. And he got to the he got to this hardware store in Tupelo, where they, where they lived. Got to this hardware store, she couldn't afford a bike, so she bought him a guitar. And the rest, as they say, say is history. Indeed, yeah. I mean, just imagine, just imagine that the, she hadn't bought him a guitar. Would he still have gone down that path? I mean, who, who mm. knows? It could have ended up in the ghetto. In the ghetto. Ah, uh, man falls down with a cake in his hand. It's a ghetto. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so it could have been, we could have had a complete, and then we wouldn't have had this film either. So who, who have we got in the film? So we've got Austin Butler playing Elvis. Austin Butler's done done a well quite a, quite a few things more recently. He's done quite a bit. It's done a bit TV. of TV. It's, it's it's a lot of TV stuff. But then he, he's he's kind of found his place. He was, in, he was um, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, wasn't he? He was, yeah. And then he's going to be in the upcoming June Part Two as Fade Rother, and he looks incredible as Fade Rother in that film. Mm. And he's also in Master of the Air, 
which is the TV miniseries. Um, so he, he he's done a lot. He's been around. It, it's yeah, a fuck ton of TV shit. Have you heard him talk? I have. He's got he's got that Elvis deep voice. It doesn't sound like Elvis per se, mm. but he's got that deep Elvis voice. And he was singing. Apparently, this is this is coming from him. He says before even um, Elvis was a thing, the film Elvis was a thing. He was in the car with his mate. And he was singing along to an Elvis track, and his mate says, "You should play Elvis. Bloody hell, you sound exactly like him. Amazing!" And lo and behold, <laughs> a few months later, he got a call. Yeah, and he says it was fate. And he, he th- and because of that, he threw himself. Absolutely, he felt it was fate, and he threw himself absolutely massively into the into the part. He had to go through an audition. Um, he had to send in an audition piece. Have you heard about this? He sent it. How he did. He sent in an audition. He, he recorded something for an audition piece, and he didn't particularly like it. Yeah. And then he... Did he have a dream or mo- something? No, he might have done, but it, it, yeah. no, it's nothing to do with a dream. So his mum his had died, essentially, and he's still grieving over his mum. Mm. And he was, he was looking at the lyrics to Unchained Melody, the Elvis hit, Unchained Melody. And then, I mean, that is normally taken, you know, to a, it's sang to a romantic partner, you know? It's, I mean, it was made yeah. famous again later on, wasn't it? But he thought, well... How about if I switch it and if I sang it to my mum? Mm. And he recorded himself, apparently, in like a bathrobe at the piano, because he could play piano as well. You know, he's not talented enough. He, he can play oh, piano. another double, triple, quadruple threat, isn't he? Oh, yeah. I don't like him already. He, he can sing, he can act, and he's Dance. he's going he's gonna to leave a good-looking corpse. He's, mm. he's a good-looking chap. And, um, and he can fucking dance as well. <laughs> that, we'll come on to that. Yeah, so he recorded himself, and he broke down singing this Unchained Melody. Mm. And when Baz Luhrmann saw this, because it was a completely different interpretation of it, it was like, oh, my God, that's him. And that was, and that was it. Yeah. And let's be honest, he doesn't quite look like Elvis, but he does look like Elvis. But when you see him move and act and talk on, on screen, the guys are... I thought it, it was quite know. clever at the start of the film where you, you see... They do this split, split screeny, and you've got Elvis on one side, him on the other, and it's like you're, oh, that's Elvis, oh yeah, 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 and then it slam cuts to Austin. That's not Elvis, mate. It is. So I'll, t- it's not. I'll it tell, I'll tell you what. The- no, 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 no. They refilmed all of the live footage. No, at the start of the, right at the very start, that it is Elvis, but when he comes in. It's like yeah, because you've you, you you've associated the, and it's there, bang. Well, I, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna possibly disagree there. I, I might have to rewatch the beginning of the film to to if there is a specific bit that you're talking about because the film starts like a fucking freight train, doesn't it? It does. The, the film hits you like a freight train in the face. It is so fast, and it the thing is, the film is not a, it's. It's about Elvis, but it's not just about Elvis, is it? Because Austin Butler is not the only person in this film. The the man himself, Tom Hanks, is in it as Colonel, oh. Colonel Tom Parker. Now, oh. what do you think of his performance? I mean, because Austin Butler was phenomenal, and the fact he did not get an Oscar for this is a absolute criminal. It's wrong. Yeah. He, he, I like Tom Hanks, and I liked him in this. A lot of people didn't. A lot of people couldn't get past the fat suit. Or when I say people, I mean the critics. 
You yeah, know? I, I found the fat suit. I mean, the fat suit looked great. I mean, the makeup yeah. is absolutely phenomenal. Phenomenal. In this film. And um, that was from Mark Coulier and Jason Baird. Uh, Mark Coulier being a prosthetics designer, Jason Baird being a prosthetics supervisor. And Colonel Tom Parker, he went through three stages of his life in this mm. film. And it actually, and it, the film starts. With, or he narrates all the way through. It's kind of from his point of view. Yeah. Although it's kind so of a biased, I think, point of view. Slightly coloured point of view. And he's got a narration all the way through. And you actually start pretty much with his death. He's dying, essentially. He's collapsed on the floor. Mm. And then there's a lot of cross-cutting between him talking and Elvis in various stages. And then it kind of slam slam cuts between one and another. Lots of split screen. And I think... In this, again, the split screen works really well. It worked yeah. really well for me. Yeah, it does, yeah. A lot of times, it doesn't in film. It's used as a as a device. It's a, and I don't it's think a gimmick, isn't it? It's a gimmick. And I think there's only a handful of films where the split screen really does work. This is one of them. So um, hats off to the, and the editors in this film are... Jonathan Redmond and Matt Villa. Yeah. Yeah, now... Jonathan Redman has not done a massive amount before, to be honest. I think he seems to be um, with, well, Baz Luhrmann's right-hand man. He's, a lot of the crew here have worked on Baz Luhrmann's films, so he's bringing along people who, who he trusts, who he knows. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, it's the same with play. Matt Villa. Matt Villa's done a lot more work, though. He's do, he was yeah. a, He'd done like the Lego Batman movie and Predestination. Yeah. <laughs> so he's at Daybreakers as well. So he's he's done quite he's done quite a bit. So, you know, hats off to the editing in this film. The editing yeah, yeah. is absolutely on point. Really, really they've clearly worked very well together. And so you, you've got that, and then it goes back into the fifties, and then it starts off with his life and how he was influenced, like like I said, with from BB King and Sister Rosetta Tharp. Um, gospel specifically as well, yeah, because yeah. there's a lot of stuff in Club Handy, isn't there, where he kind of where he started off, and he, I said, they don't hide the fact, of, and I don't think he did at the time either. He didn't hide the fact of where his inspirations come well, from. No, I were, mean, why would you? Because it's it's part of your it's it's part of you growing up. It's mm. but back then, obviously, you've got no internet, you've got no no um, trade magazines. There's no no way of communication with the outside world. So for someone like him to just explode onto the scene, bloody hell. Mm. I mean, I wish I'd been there. I wish I could, could have seen it, you know, that sort of thing. I, I, you you were in your teenage years when uh, he first came out, were you? You can't remember. Fucking, I, you know, as soon as I said that, I thought, <laughs> wrong thing to say there, Richie. Uh. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? It, it's like, why, why would you hide? Where your influences, because you know it's it's like no, well, yeah, we, we, here it is. We've had we've had similar big kind of impacts in the pop world during our time, now, haven't we? Let's be honest. We've we've had Bros, <laughs> and we've had. Um... But he, Elvis is still the king. He's still to this day the king. He is, and he? this film this film shows it. And I think Baz Luhrmann. As a director, like I said, he wasn't trying to do a biopic. He didn't want to do a biopic. He no. wanted to kind of understand America and the culture and the things that were God. going on at the time with the racism and the. Well, he he says he he didn't want an impersonation. He wanted an interpretation. 
And he started that actually way before they started shooting. He got the vision department in apparently. Got a load of props together, bits and bobs together, tear sheets, kind of mood boards and all that sort of crap. And got all of, kind of got the feel for the film together before he actually started putting the film together. And then as you said, he brought people in that he'd worked with before mm. and he trusts every single one of those people to do their job. He's intrinsically involved in each department not as not to overlook what they're doing, but you know, as part of the creative process, he really brings absolutely everybody with him, and he trusts everybody in that mm. um, that he employs on that set. So, hats off to him. May not do a lot of films, but you know, yeah. Did you know that? I don't know. You've not said yet. In the fifties, in the fifties scenes, he used fifties lenses. I did know that. You did know that. I did. And yeah. in the sixties and seventies. Moved to anamorphic lenses because that was the lenses of the time. Yes, I did know that, yes. And then later cool. on in the 70s, because anamorphic lenses came in in the 70s, as you said. Mm. Now, for those people that don't know what anamorphic lenses are, Richie's going to tell you. Yeah, imagine a, a, T, a T1000 and it's a Annie morph. And it morphs into okay. So what what <laughs> anamorphic lenses actually are? Right, they were brought in initially because they could handle different um, aspect ratios because that aspect ratios at the time kind of bounced around all over the fucking shop. Um, but they give quite a unique look, don't they? They use them for le- fucking lens flares and all sorts of shit nowadays. But uh, they give quite a unique look. So they're really good at wides, so like landscape shots and stuff like that. But then, so they'll but, get you in frame then in one go? That only just. Only if I was like miles away. They could just about get me in. Uh, my gargantuan noggin. Peed! <laughs> Dune! Peed! Move! But the thing is, they, they also create a, sh- a really shallow depth of field. So they, essentially that means the person, the thing in the front of the frame is going to be crisp, but the th- mm. everything behind is going to be really blurred. So when you use this really wide lens and bring it in for a close-up, it gives a really certain look, and it makes it just look really cinematic. And they're loved by, they're loved by filmmakers. So that's what an anamorphic lens is, essentially. So there you go. But they did reach this. Now this is why I quit. I question it, mate. And what you're saying about the Elvis stuff at the beginning, because they reshot all. They reshot Mandy Walker. We'll, ma- we'll mention who the DOP is actually. Mandy Walker is the DOP. Mandy Walker's done a bunch of other stuff, mainly again. Stuff with Baz, but Jane's got a gun, Mulan, and Hidden Figures as well. She's done Hidden Figures. Yeah, I like is... that film. Hidden Figures is a good film. Yeah, yeah. I, f- I found it a bit cheesy, but it's it's a nice film. It's a good film because it raises it raises a, a great point about the the women that worked on the space program back mm. in the fifties and sixties, where they're not recognised or they weren't recognised. They, they have been since, yeah. They have been since, yeah, and rightly so because they did a, a lot of the work. Yeah, so she's done a lot. So she knows the stuff. She knows how to how to frame the stuff. Mm. Um, but they they went. They did something called train spotting. Now I didn't know it was called train spotting. This is something that they call uh, where they they went back and reshot all of the original footage, all the '68 special for NBC and the Vegas performances. They reshot all that with Austin Butler in makeup. Mm. I could I could honestly I swear down they done it on purpose. Where you it, Elvis is on the left. Austin's on the right, and then as he as Austin comes in, because you've seen Elvis, and the, the, it's like a bit of a sleight of hand appropriation sort of thing. Here's Elvis, and it's like a, a sw- bait and switch. Woohoo! There you go. Yeah. Well, apparently not. Apparently, like I say, they re- they reshot it all. Now, the th- 
I'll, t- I'll, I'll stand to be corrected okay. then. If that's what they've done, then that's what they've done. Yeah, that's well. That, that this is from this is from Mandy Walker, and apparently she was there. She was the DOP, the director of photography. Oh, I did, I did see a, an interview with her about this, and she was like, "Well, the film and the concerts," and she's like, "the the background, the background colors change." In, in the concerts. Yeah, they used LEDs, didn't they? Yeah. In, in, in... yeah, she's like, in the old days, you'd use gels. Yeah. And you'd be flapping a gel around, but now you just push a button on an iPad and everything changes. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's that the first film, she, she, she said she actually found it quite challenging because she'd never filmed a concert scene before or something mm. this large. And the first scene was in the international showroom, which appears later on in the film. But that's the first film, that, the first scene that they shot, and it's a massive, massive. Stone. Holy crap! Yeah, it's a massive. Why piece. would you do that? Mind you, the the Queen film, wasn't it? The first shot that they filmed there was the Live Aid. Well, there's a link to Queen actually in this because Polly Bennett. Why would you? Polly do Bennett, that? the movement coach and choreographer, also worked with Rami Malek, and she worked with with Austin ah. Butler on this to get his moves right as well. She she got him learning um, tap just to try and get get some of those because some of those moves kind of lend themselves working together mm. so yeah so she she did she did some of that but anyway so mandy walker apparently was bricking it filming this because it was the, one of the first things you had to see and it's a huge <laughs> it's one of the big scenes in the film and it's an absolutely fantastic performance from mm. austin butler but the thing is that she had she was using five cameras right she was using two techno cranes which are kind of big big cameras and arms which kind of swing around so she was using five cameras, two techno cranes, and they shot it around 30 times. And every time Austin Butler performed it, he was absolutely, like I say, bomb on. And that shows just that. Because that performance is absolutely electrifying every single time. Mm. I'm, I'm, I must admit, watching it, you do get a bit, bit of a tingle. You do, and that this you do get a bit even, of a single. I'm, you know, I'm not ooh. a massive Elvis, but I like Elvis music, and I, I think you know I've got um, I lean more towards Elvis, I think, and the kind of the rock and roll side of things than I do to something like the Beatles or something like that. I mean, I'm not knocking the Beatles mm, each yeah, yeah. I, I like the later stuff, but Elvis. After this, watching this film, you walk away from this film thinking he's a bit good, isn't he? He's a bit good. Yeah. You can see why. And you can see why he's that magnetism on stage. Yeah. And I think that's what they've captured in this film. I think it's a love I think this film is a love story to Elvis. They gloss over some of the other stuff. Mm. Um Yeah, it's it is told from Colonel Parker's point of view. So perhaps that's why it was done as it was done. But you can't you wouldn't have had Elvis without Colonel Tom Parker. And you wouldn't have had Colonel Tom Parker. No, Elvis, and that, yeah. that Tom Tom Hanks actually said that. I'm, I'm quoting Tom Hanks there, and Tom Hanks was brought in on this. And now, like it's like you say, some people liked his performance. I thought he was hindered by the suit. I have to say, well, I, he's he's got so he's got so much on because as as the young as the young Colonel Tom Parker, right? Just as the young, because he was a big guy. He was, yeah. He had a piece around his neck up to and his chin up to his eyes with ear prosthetics. That's for the young Tom Parker. And then when he gets mm. to the middle age and old Tom Parker, it went across his head as well and must have took him... Well, it did take it did take him ages. It took him a, a few hours to actually put the makeup together. So for the later piece, for the later time when he was a lot older, it took 10 pieces to get into that old suit, that old makeup. 
and he got it down from five and a half hours to four hours. So that's, I mean, even the young, even the young one was three and a half hours. Now Elvis, he did do some pathetic work on Elvis. It kind of gave him cheekbones and a chin as he got older, more defined to try and change it. But they don't change him that much. So even my partner, when we were watching it, said there's no real change. When you actually see them side by side, there is a change. You don't really see him in his fat suit until later on either, because mm. right at the end you see him in the in the kind of the Elvis fat suit because. I think this is a celebration of Elvis. This is a love letter to Elvis Presley, and that's why we don't get the darker, the 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 bad side of Elvis really in this within this film. So Mark Cullier and Jason Baird, absolutely fantastic, but I just felt he, his performance was hindered. He's, he he wasn't getting the ex- expressions. Well, he looked like he'd taken Botox too early. You know uh, what I mean? The, right. Yeah. The, yeah. I see. What, yeah. His performance. Yeah. His. His vocal performance was perfectly fine, you know. The ex- expression, but the expressions, yeah, just weren't there. I haven't yeah, heard I Colonel saying. Tom Parker speak because you find out in the film why Elvis didn't tour globally. Well, I'll and tell you what, what, have you? I've never left a film b- before absolutely hating Tom Hanks, a character. Honest to God, I'll tell you what. What what if Gary Oldman, Gary Oldman, had, be- had played Tom Parker? I think you'd have got a better performance because Gary Oldman played, he obviously has done Churchill, hasn't he? Well, Under la- yeah, layers yeah, yeah. of makeup. And I didn't, feel the sa- I didn't feel the same. Now, we are a little bit further down the line. I think ch- this came up. Oh, no, actually, no, we're not. Churchill and this were not around, around the same time, weren't they? Man Googles on internet. Mm. When did Churchill come out? The Churchill film, The Darkest Hour, that came out in 2017. That came out before this. Mm. And I. I felt the prosthetics work well. I thought his characterization came through more in that film, Gary Oldman as Churchill, than yeah. Tom Hanks as Colonel Tom Parker did in this. Well, I don't know. I don't. That's just that's just one of my thoughts. It just occurred to me, like you know, because how um, Gary Oldman is a chameleon, and sometimes I fear that one day I look in the mirror and Gary Oldman's looking back at me. You wish. I'm like, and my whole life has been a lie. I'm not me. It's Gary Oldman who's playing me. Yeah. You know, you're like, ah, because he's, 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 he's that scaringly good. And the fact that, yeah, he's acted in, a, in, in the old fat suit. And uh, what would he have done? What would he have done with that? But we've got um, Tom Hanks instead. So, And like I say, he doesn't do a bad job. It's, it's, it's not a terrible job. I felt... I didn't think it was his best work, personally speaking. But as a for me, I was quite happy with it. You know, it was. Have you heard Colonel Tom Parker talk? Because I, I actually haven't heard him talk on camera, no. so I don't know if that how close that accent was. Because he is he, Dutch or something, isn't he? Yeah, and he's not a Colonel. He's not called Tom or Parker. That's the thing. I mean, I didn't know anything about his backstory, and that's one of the criticisms that was brought against that, uh, where. It's assumed that we know the colonel's backstory. You know, we know where he's from, because when you hear him speak, he's got this weird Dutchy Germany. At first, I thought it was like a Germany accent. Yeah, I thought they were going to go down the Nazi route or something mm. like that. I thought, oh, was he? Bloody, was he? But no, he wasn't. As it turned yeah. out, he's just a, but, a legal immigrant, wasn't he? Yes, I think that's yeah. what he was. So, um, yeah. but he kind of from got Holland. away yeah. from Holland. He just got away with it for so long. They let him stay. And so when you hear him speak, it's like, where's this accent from? It's, ooh, mm. a bit weird. 
And that was one of the criticisms that was like, not everyone knows, you know, his backstory. Probably died in the wool Elvis, Elvis fans would. Yeah, probably, for, yeah, yeah. Um, but for, for the common person coming to this film, watching this yeah. film from a... Not, not that it distracted. No, no, it, it didn't distract. And like I said, he gave a great vocal performance, but I just thought that the suit hindered him mm. um, a little. But how, how, he, how he was always lit. He was always, when it was scenes with him and uh, Elvis, he was always in shadow. Always. After he was a big man. In the dark. Because <laughs> he's a fucking evil little bastard. Yeah, he did keep him under his thumb, as you'll watch. And mm. I, can't, I can't recommend this film highly enough to go and watch this film. One of the key things that I, I didn't know was... Now, like I said, I knew Austin Butler could play the piano. I know he could sing. But is it Austin Butler singing in this film? What do you think, Richie? It is. It is it at is. the beginning. And it isn't. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, At the beginning, it the is beginning, Austin Butler is, singing. Yes. And even later on, in certain parts, it is singing. But they overlay. They use something mm. called stems, don't they, essentially? And what they do is they overlay the... They blend it, don't they? They blend it's, it together. They, they overlay the two together. It's a blending. Now, yeah. apparently, um, Austin Butler sounded incredibly like Elvis in his younger years, but he couldn't quite get the right resonance of the voice later, right? He could still sing perfectly well, and it still sounded like Elvis, but it didn't sound like oh, Elvis. Oh, sack him then. In, in the sack 70s. him. If you yeah, can't do it, shite. if you can't do it all, then why? We'll have to go out and find someone who, who can. Yeah, and it's a similar <laughs> thing with Rami Malik. Uh, Rami Malik, uh, Malik, sorry, um, with Bohemian Rhapsody, apparently. They did a similar thing with that, but um, I think more so with, with him, because obviously Freddie's range was uh, ridiculous. Oh, phenomenal but, one too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he does sing. So he's not only acting like Elvis, he's not only dancing like Elvis, but he's singing like Elvis. Yeah. And this and he was so good. So good. Yeah. Didn't get an award for it. Yeah. Why? Why, Richie? I don't know. I don't know. I'll tell you what, I'll substitute the word I don't know for I'll find out. Brilliant. <laughs> I'll find out. I'll knock on the door of the Academy, those big doors, and say, Oi, mister. Can I have some more? Why didn't he get an award then? <laughs> yeah, who knows? Who knows? Um, I think he deserved it more than Rami Malek did, personally. Uh, I think he did a he did a good job as mm, Freddie Mercury, yeah. but I think this is another on another level. Yeah, this yeah. really is on another level. I mean, I I preferred the, the Rocket Man over the Queen. Now I like Queen, and I prefer Queen's I've not music. Seen Rocket Man. Rocket Man is an interpretation of somebody's life. I'm not seeing that it's one. It's fantastical ah, as well. It's got fantastical elements in it. Right. But it's a cracking film. It's a really well-made film. And this is an absolute powerhouse of a mm. film. It really, I suppose it really, really is. You've got to be careful, haven't you? Because it is, to some people, he's very well, well, he's well-known anyway. And it, it, he, he has achieved godlike status. Like I say, he's still the king. He after is after all these years. And after the, and after this film, I feel you're going to get to know him a little bit better. But they also gloss over some stuff as well because they tried to tame him, didn't they? They didn't like his, the way he moved on stage, and they, essentially, okay, it was around, all based around the racism at the time and big Bible belt within America kind of um, launched against him, saying mm. he was evil and all this sort of this. They tried to tame him, and then he really. Then he eventually he kind of came back and released the inner the inner Elvis essentially. Inner Elvis, he's, he's yeah. pretty much yeah. Well, yeah. so some of it wasn't what you see on screen isn't what happened. No, in I, real life. I mean, the, how 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 much of that 
how much of what we see on screen did happen then? Well, there's there's some there's some bits, and it, it it's like very negligible. Um, there's there's a scene right at the very start where he's a young lad, twelve year old or whatever, and he's r- running around with a big like lightning symbol. Okay. Yeah. On his that like a necklace. That didn't happen, although he was a fan of a comic book character, um, Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel Junior. Now these days we know him via his persona as Shazam. Oh, okay. So he's he was a big, and when you look at his costumes, there's a lightning symbol on him, or his belt buckle. There's a lightning symbol in his costume at the start of the film. You've got like the looks like a belt buckle with. Um, T-C-B, and a lightning symbol under the C. Then T-C-B stands for taking care of business. That's his backing group. Yeah. And that's... So they, like, work it in that way. Um, also, he did perform... Sh- Shazam is DC, not Marvel, just saying. No, Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel's Marvel. Yeah. But, mate, <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> There's going to be geeks out there saying, hey, hey, just one minute. But Shazam this is, is like Shazam before is... everything, you know what I mean? Before everything. Yeah, before everything, before time began. And on the seventh day, God made Elvis. Uh, he did perform Hound Dog. Brilliant. On the um, on that Stevie <laughs> Allen song. I've heard him sing it. That, that did happen. Okay. That did happen. How it was portrayed as uh, the Colonel Parker saying, wear this, that didn't happen. Oh, so that... It wasn't, wasn't Colonel Parker who said, wear the monkey suit. Yeah, yeah. That was NBC saying, do this. He had nothing to do with it. There's Because um, we needed to make Colonel Tom Parker more bad in the film. So yeah. we'll, we'll get him to, to just keep adding, adding yeah. layers upon layers. The, I mean, I'm not saying he wasn't bad. He was. but uh, The 1968 Christmas special. Well, that happened on the red stage because I've, I've seen That it. did happen. But there was no Christmassy side of things at all. No, I, that, that that did confuse me a little bit because yeah. when I wa- I have seen that and I don't remember any of that at all. Now my no. memory is not great. I hasten to add, but if that didn't happen, then that's the reason why I don't remember it. Yeah, that didn't happen. It was they did keep the colonel out of the editing room, out of the filming, you know, just to keep him away. Yeah, he did try to get a um, Christmas Carol in there, but failed. Okay. But it, it wasn't as... Um, Full-on Christmas as they were trying to yeah, make out. Yeah, and the, the sponsors weren't in there, like, demanding this, that, and the other. It, that, that didn't happen. The, um, the director of that, Steve Binder. Now, do you know what Steve Binder is? The other thing that he's responsible for bringing to the screen. Steve Binder? Yeah. Well, Steve Binder was also in um, Stranger Things. Worse than that, he directed the Star Wars Holiday Special. Well, he needs to be shot. Because <laughs> that, that is a crime to, to film and Star Wars. Um, they glossed over Priscilla's age, which the Colonel voices, Tom Hanks voices it, uh, the teenager, he met teenage, and it, it's alluded to that she late teens yeah it's never it is really glossed over i mean massively glossed over i mean priscilla's played by olivia dijon and yeah i just she just appears doesn't she she just magically appears and then it's never really mentioned and then they break up yeah that's the other thing as well that the other criticism 
level that it is. Priscilla's like an ancillary character. When you'll actually look at where she how how often she appears, not that much. No. You know, it it's yeah, it the film is it's it's called Elvis and it's again told from Colonel Parker's point of view. So that probably is why she's pushed out a bit, because he is an arsehole. He did introduce I suppose what we call now mass marketing. Before him, there wasn't such a thing as, you know, your face is put on a pillow, is everything, you know. So he was there before George Lucas, is what you're saying? Of course he was. Yeah, he was. The um, I love Elvis, I hate Elvis badges. That is true. Is that true? That is true. See, I did wonder about I hate Elvis. Yeah. He made them. That yeah. is genius. <laughs> people, because that is just that's just a win-win, isn't it? That is yep. genius marketing. Yep. Is the first satellite show, that is true, obviously, but 1.5 billion people watched it? That's a lot of that's a lot of people around the world watching Elvis. 1.5 billion people for the first satellite show. Mm. Colonel Parker didn't meet Elvis in the Hall of Mirrors and the Ferris wheel. That did not happen. Oh, okay. Where did he meet him? When uh, Parker was... He was on the ghost train. No. Waltzers. No. No, 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 no. Teacups. It was when he was he was the manager of... Um, Slip and slide. Managing Hank Snow, because Elvis was opening for Hank Snow. Yeah. That's where he met him. So did that uh, relationship between Hank and Elvis kind of deteriorate when Hank was a bit dull and Elvis was Elvis, and he, he overtook him? Yeah. That all happened. That's unfortunate. Be less shit. <laughs> then you'll be on top billing. Um, there, there's a little lesson for everybody. What what else have you got, Richie? Uh, what else have we got? What Richie does research in shock horror headlines I know. at 10. I know. We've done the dog. We've done the lightning bolt. Uh, yeah, he, he went the gospel choir. We've talked about Priscilla. He's literally just reading through a list now. We've talked, <laughs> done the 68 special. Now, yeah. Colonel Parker did. That is, it is true. He did fleece him for everything. Well, not everything, but he took a large chunk of all his money. Did I hear in a film, or have I read somewhere else that it was fifty percent? Is that right? Yeah. Was it? A, is it that much? Yeah. yeah, yeah he had, he had yeah, massive yeah. gambling debts, didn't he? Um, he which did. He was trying yeah. To pay off, yeah. And then a gambling habit after that. And he he died a lonely, sad old man. He did working the he slot did. machines in um, Vegas, didn't in he? In Vegas, yeah. We know how El- we all know how Elvis died. But um, the scene where he fires him on stage, he fires Parker. Oh on yeah, stage. did that happen? No. Oh, you see, come on, why put that no. in then? Because the other stuff, yeah, well, the Christmas no, stuff. No, it a didn't bit happen. Weird. Why he, make that sort of shit up? I don't know. It's random stuff. They did fire him. They did fire him, but it was like backstage where they had, they had an altercation, and he said they fired. But Elvis and his old man, they were like right when they looked through the contract. They they'd have to pay Parker two million to release him from the contract, so they'd rehire him again. It, well, that's a, a list of mid demands, wasn't it? That he came up with, which came to about two million in the film. So I so saw that bit. I was true, right? Okay. Well, um, the star is born. He was down for for taking for having the Chris Christopherson role of a star is born. That was that was his, and then Parker says, "No, I want Elvis's billing, top billing." And more money, and they walked, and Chris Christopherson got it instead. There you go. That would have been a different film. That would have been a different film. Yeah, and it would have been remade the number of times. Well, actually, that was a, that was that would have been the remake. That was the second. That was that was the, the second first, remake. Yeah. That was the first yeah. remake, wasn't it? Yeah. Then you got the second one recently. Yes. Yes. 
Well, there we go. So, what we're and saying... there's lots of others. And there's lots of others, yeah. <laughs> I'm not just going to sit here as Richie reads out a <laughs> list of stuff he's read. That's yeah. riveting for the, um, for the listeners there. But um, maybe a little less conversation now. Oh. And a little more action for you guys out there. Go and watch it. It's on it Now is. TV at the moment. Or you can purchase it. Purchase it. For like... Six quid for a DVD and eight quid for a Blu-ray. There you go. So you've really got no excuse, really. You'll be able to get some uh, Richie at the diabolicalfilmshow.com <laughs> forward slash dodgy DVD. <laughs> so as we are, well, I don't know about um, Ash, but I am the uh, champion of physical media by the media guys. Don't rely on the streaming services. They are evil and they can turn it off when they want. And you get to keep it. Unlike before, where you had to return to send Oh, out. fuck it out. around. <laughs> oh, oh, dear. Fucking hell, fire. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> That's another one. <laughs> Let's uh, just pretend... Have you ever had one of those days? Uh, Let's <laughs> just pretend we're finished. Right, let's move it on. Okay, so what we're saying is this film... Is fantastic. Well, the voices. What did the voices say? Now, IMDb g- gave it a seven point three. I'm like, that's that's <laughs> too low. I'm yeah. sorry. I came I came away. You come even though it ends with his death, pretty much. I came away from this film. It's a feel good film. You come away with a, a spring in your step and a hatred for Tom Parker. A hatred for Tom Parker. Yeah, and mm. you know, and it's it's just such a good film. You come away with a burning love of this film. Oh. <laughs> You really do. The Tomatoes. Well, the critics gave it 77, and the audience saw sense and gave it 94. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? I actually think it deserves 94. Yeah. Not not just because it's about Elvis Presley, but because I think Baz Luhrmann and Austin Butler, Tom Hanks, Olivia Desange, Darcy Montgomery, who plays Steve Bender, and Bindus, apologist. You'll know him from um, Stranger Things. All of these, all of the people that they got, um, even Kelvin Harrison, who plays B.B. King, and yeah. the people who play his mum and dad, Helen Thompson, Richard Roxburgh, they're, Roxburgh, they're all really good, strong yeah. actors. They're all, they're all, there's no weak links in this film. And the, the editing, the, the cinematography, the direction, the music, everything, everything just, just yeah. comes together so well, well I think in this the, film. The critics have just got the fucking noses in the air. It's just, just being arseholes, I think. Yeah. 77% fuck off. If you want a good time, go and watch yeah. this film. You won't regret it. Be a fa- Even if you're not a fan of Elvis, you're going to still love this film. Mm. It's good. You know, you, you want to get it now or never. Oh. <laughs> Have you just got a list of his songs? <laughs> uh, song titles and just like, all right, I'm going to work towards this one now. Oh. Uh. <laughs> Fucking hell. And on that piece of sliced gold, we'll end it right there. Jesus. (laughs) So if you fancy a bit more Diabolic Film Banter, then like and subscribe to the podcast and we'll catch you on the next episode. Also, if you like me talking bollocks about film and Ash just reciting Elvis puns, (laughs) then it was a review. Hey, 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 don't be cruel. And if you need to get something off your chest, send us a question. Don't address it to Ash, because you'll just get Elvis.
puns and stuff thrown back at you. <laughs> and we'll answer it on the show. You can find us on your local friendly label podcast app and on all the interwebs. Just search for the Diabolical Film Show. So that leaves it for me to say thanks for listening and catch you laters. I'm wincing now to what you're going to say. <laughs> and for me, till next time, Richie and Ash have left the building. <laughs> Tati bye. <laughs>